Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another live episode of The Breakdown. It is February 19th, 2023. We took a little bit of a, a little bit of a longer, long weekend in preparation for the long weekend. We took Wednesday off, so we're catching up tonight on all of the things that have been going on in Alberta politics. And Lord knows there is absolutely no short of things that have been going on we're going to try to make sense of a few of those things and we're going to do it with a little bit of help from the incomparable sarah biggs coming up in just a little bit after we finish up our rundown of some of the by no means is this a comprehensive list but some of the events that have started in alberta politics this week the first one that we got to talk about we got another poll that came out here and a lot of people say Hey, you know what? Polls, they're snapshots in time. And you're absolutely right. But one of the things that politicos tend to look out for is when polls are trending in a particular direction. And when we see polls from different time frames or different snapshots starting to show up with the same kind of uh, results, that's something that uh, that people tend to want to pay a little bit more attention to because it could potentially indicate a bit of a shift in the, the, the thinking. Then this new poll came out from Leger this week. And what's particularly interesting is that Rachel Notley and the NDP, by 4%, according to this poll, are uh, ahead. They're, they're, they're winning the popular vote. But when you take a look at what areas that vote is spread out across, there's probably some things that people should be paying attention to. In Calgary, for example, despite the fact that Rachel Notley and the NDP are up in popular vote, the UCP are actually showing at 47% to the NDP's 42%. Now, in Edmonton, which is an NDP stronghold, the, the numbers are a little bit different. In Edmonton, the NDP, 61% to 32% for the UCP. But then we get other Alberta, which is, people would say rural Alberta. Ralph Klein famously liked to say that Alberta is a, a three-legged stool and you can win the election with any of those two legs. Well, the three legs are Calgary, Edmonton, and everywhere else, or as Klein liked to call it, rural Alberta. And and in rural Alberta, or third leg, that's where Rachel Notley's NDP is only sitting at 37% compared to Daniel Smith's 53%. Now, it's important to realize that these aren't just um, the numbers for, do you like Daniel Smith? Do you like Rachel Notley? These are the numbers among decided voters for the person and the party. So this is a particularly interesting poll and it's a particularly telling poll because there have been a lot of politicos and pundits and over the last couple of weeks especially have been raising the alarm about the fact that it seems like the the ndp are approaching with this uh, banal sort of milk toast messaging they they aren't really swinging for the fences most of their hey we're going to do a thing uh, you should visit our website create some barriers for entry for a lot of people and to be sure there's a lot of people who still don't know that an election's coming in just a couple of months hopefully but it doesn't change the fact that when you compare the incredibly powerful and aggressive messaging that comes from smith and the ucp with the the milk toast messaging that we've been seeing from the ndp there's real concerns about whether or not 
it's compelling enough to a gain ground and b hold ground and certainly with the recent polling in calgary where we're starting to see sort of the hesitant ucp voters move a little bit more back to the ucp as opposed to swinging to the ndp this is an area where rich luntley and the ndp potentially need to look at how they're going to start to speak especially calgarian this is a really important piece and it's been a fascinating point of conversation we saw earlier this week max fawcett was on the ryan jesperson show and he said essentially the same thing and what we've been seeing since then is a lot of people saying hey it's time to press the panic button because we're getting closer and closer the messaging is not getting any more cohesive it feels much more thin it's not focused Keep asking people to go to this external website instead of with passion and conviction what you're going to do for the province of Alberta. And that's a real problem. But there was a weird, I don't know what the word is here, offensive, hateful little thing that popped through the cracks this week when we saw from the Western Standard, because of course it was the Western Standard, it's always... It seems like it's always the Western standard these days. I could be wrong, but it feels like it seems like it's always the Western standard these days. There was a story that came out of the Western standard that was published. Um, and the, the headline was, are Albertans ready for education minister Janice Irwin? Now, this story was written by a gentleman named Rahim Muhammad, And the, the, the story took on quite an evolution over, over a couple, really it was only about 24 maybe 36 hours at the most because the story came out and there were a lot of people who were like, Whoa, what is this? Because it seemed like to a lot of people that Mr. Muhammad was trying to tie Janice Irwin to drag shows and therefore she'd be a terrible minister of education. And he said some pretty, he had some pretty pointed remarks. Uh, he tried to defend them initially. He put out this tweet where he said, never said anything disparaging about Ms. Irwin as a person. In fact, I spent the first quarter of the art or so of the article kissing her ass. Now, the part of the article that he's re re referencing where he says that he's kissing Janice Irwin's ass, there's perhaps no member of the Alberta NDP caucus who embodies the party's hip, forward-looking progressive brand more than Edmonton Highlands Norwood MLA Janice Irwin, known across the province for her high-wattage smile and wardrobe of natty, well-tailored menswear. Interesting take on ass-kissing, but okay. The 38-year-old Irwin is a natural fit for the image-driven politics of the Instagram age, which eh, some people took as maybe saying, maybe, maybe you're calling Janice Irwin a little superficial. She likewise has a finely tuned known for the progressive virtue signaling. That's the sine qua non of today's left. To wit, one would be hard-pressed to find a photo of Ms. Irwin that does not include a pride flag somewhere in its frame. It's far more challenging to find a shot of her posing anywhere in the vicinity of an Alberta flag, but I digress. Now, it's obviously super disingenuous for anyone to say no 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 guys what uh, i was saying nice things those were all intended as, as compliments and there were a lot of people who were really upset about it because when it comes to political figures in alberta's environment you've got to work pretty hard to find someone who is less offensive than than janice Irwin. uh it's just really hard to do she's one of the by many accounts she's one of the nice 
Marxist people in Alberta politics. Uh, this is something referenced on both sides. But here we have the Western Standard deciding that they're going to, for some reason, go after Janice Irwin on that day. Well, the reason became quite clear shortly after because Mr. Muhammad released another tweet where he said, I'd like to apologize unreservedly for both the tone and content of my article. Are Albertans ready for education minister Janice Irwin published yesterday in the Western Standard? In a shameless bid to drive traffic to the website, I knowingly loaded the article with harmful queer transphobic tropes and dog whistles paying zero mind to damage my words with due to thousands across Alberta and beyond. I've since had a chance to reacquaint myself with the statistics on violence violence against queer and trans youth, and I'm mortified by my own words. I'll be making a donation to Unison Choruses Canada. As a small act of penance, I'll also be taking a break from both commentary and Twitter. So, one of the Western Standard's own writers admits, apparently, that uh, they publish articles with the goal of driving traffic to the website, they don't seem to be concerned about what kind of harm it does before they publish it. It's worth noting, shortly after Mr. Muhammad uh, issued that apology, it was a couple hours, eventually the Western Standard did take down the article. But if you go to the Western Standard website, they, they've got editors. They've got, editor, they've got an editor-in-chief. And if the Western Standard purports to be a legitimate, a legitimate journalistic outlet one would assume that those editors are at the very least reviewing the articles before they publish them. So there's some ownership there. Or they're not. In which case, they're not at all practicing journalism. They're practicing clickbait infotainment at best. But it also begs the question, if it took uh, Mr. Muhammad catching 24, 36 hours of rightly served outrage from saying that was a garbage article that was full of fallacies that hurt people, that perpetuate harmful stereotypes. He issued his apology. He said he was going to be taking a break, but it took hours before the Western Standard removed it. We talked a little while ago on our episode about True North, about the whole idea of journalistic standards and practices and how there are standardized journalistic standards and practices that exist. And anyone who claims to be a journalist should probably be doing their very, very best to follow them. And so it is mind-blowing how an article that was not only just logically flawed, like the fact that they tried to connect Janice Irwin and the the fact the fact that she has a background in education, she was a teacher, um, to drag story time. Therefore, as an education minister, if that's what she was appointed as, she would somehow be introducing drag story time to schools, which is just a, a complete misrepresentation of what's been happening with drag story time in the first place. So there's factual errors there. But the fact that that column not only written, but then published raises some very real concerns about the type of, if any, editorial control or responsibility ethics that's being uh, manifested, let's say, at the, at the Western Standard. The big story of the week, though, Emergency Act came out 
there were a couple of different things that came out. There's one that came out earlier in the week and they talked about the fact that, yeah, it was a violent occupation. Um, that was a grassroots uh, hearing that was done. Much like the same grassroots hearing that uh, Mr. Manning, who we're going to talk about, that was advocating for before uh, he, he got his quarter million dollar payday from Danielle Smith. So one would only think that people would recognize the legitimacy of these grassroots uh, hearings. But the grassroots hearing said, oh, yeah, no, there was violence. Well, the Emergency Act um, report came out. And the final word is, yep, they were justified. Federal government was absolutely justified in invoking the Emergencies Act to deal with the problems that were happening nationwide. Because it's important to remember that as much as the occupation in Ottawa got a lot of the spotlight here in Alberta, we had our own insurrection with threats and an, an alleged plot to kill police officers as well. There were others in the country where there were problems too. It didn't take very long for Justice Minister Tyler Shandro to come out with a statement. He was very angry. Alberta's government maintains that the federal government's consultation with provinces was inadequate and that unnecessarily invoking the, the Emergencies Act set a dangerous precedent. The decision to invoke the act violated the constitutionally guaranteed rights of Albertans and gave the federal government the ability to seize property without due process of law. As a result, the conclusion reached by the inquiry does not affect Alberta's decision to participate in legal challenges initiated against the federal government by the Canadian Constitution Foundation and the Canadian Civil Liberties uh, Association last year. Abhorrent. How dare the federal government just reach into the, the province's sandbox with with no precedent or I don't know request. Because for paying attention, you might remember on February 5th. Rick McIver, Minister of Municipal Affairs. Letter to the federal government. What did that letter say? Let's take a quick look. The RC along with local and provincial officials have been working closely in an attempt to persuade the demonstration participants to remove their vehicles, but have been unsuccessful. In addition, as a result of private industry concerns over negative consequences, the RCMP have been able to secure the appropriate heavy-duty equipment required to remove vehicles and other items such as trailers and tractors from the area. Attempts to procure these services with providers from across the Western provinces and the United States have failed. But wait, there's more. In order to ensure a return to free movement of people, vehicles, and goods and services through this pivotal location, we're seeking federal assistance in removing obstructions from the highway. The RCMP and other partner law enforcement agencies will ensure that the locations are secured and will remove demonstrators and bystanders from the area prior to the removal of vehicles equipment in order to mitigate risks of potential conflict. It goes on to support this approach, I'm requesting federal assistance that includes the provision of equipment and personnel to move approximately 70 semi-tractor tra uh, semi trailers and approximately 75 personnel, personal and recreational vehicles from the area. It almost sounds like the federal government didn't necessarily need to do a whole consul, a lot of consultation with the provincial government because the provincial government literally sent them a letter saying, we are out of our depth. We do not have the manpower or the resources to deal with this problem. Please send help. And to paraphrase, help was on the way. 
This is more revisionist history from the Smith government and from Mr. Shandro in regards to what happened, how did it happen? One might almost think that they could be trying to spin the narrative a little bit because, I don't know, they had multiple MLAs show up and be a part of these events. Who knows, right? Moving on from there, the big announcement in Calgary, which we were able to talk about on our last show because Daniel Smith totally tipped her hand on it. As much as Edmonton received sheriffs to walk the downtown core with the existing police officers to fight the civil and bad behavior that was going on in the downtown core, despite the fact that the current crime levels, as per a bunch of recent numbers, are actually still not at the highest they've been in the last five years, let alone 10 years. Uh, there's certainly been some higher profile cases that have happened and certainly targeted violent crimes have gone up. But the reality is, is when you take a look at the stats, it's not as bad as it has been historically. Nonetheless, Daniel Smith sent sheriffs into Edmonton. Well, this week, the announcement came. You know what? They're coming to Calgary, too. They're going to be deploying sheriffs to supplement the existing police policing efforts in Calgary to make sure that this civil unrest gets dealt with. It's fascinating that this comes on the heels of the story in regards to the blockades and the Emergencies Act. Because here we have the provincial government sending in their own shock troops to, to try to quell the bad behavior that's going on in downtown Calgary. Now, it's worth noting that this is a topic of conversation that despite the fact that it doesn't necessarily line up with the statistical reality, this is a topic of conversation that Smith and the UCP have been going on about day and night. It's almost as if talking about crime and the horrible impacts of crime drives fear, which in turn drives support. Still not quite done with the whole question of the, the, the overreach of things, let's say. Because one of the other things that came out of yesterday was Premier Daniel Smith on her radio show was asked some questions about, hey, so, you know, gosh, this Jordan Peterson, he keeps saying all these, these hateful things under the guise of uh, the fact that he's, a, he's, he's accredited in mental health and he's got all this influence. Um, he's he's kind of making the profession look bad. He's kind of saying some things that aren't true, uh, that are demonstrably not true, that are demonstrably harmful, and that many people are saying are demonstrably hateful. He, he's gotten in some trouble. He's had to do some remediation training with his, with his college is what he's been ordered to do. Now, Mr. Peterson has stomped his feet and had a very big temper tantrum about the fact that he's been told that he has to conduct himself with a minimum standard of professional ethics. Um, but the question came into Daniel Smith. Hey, uh, these colleges, they keep making people who are operating under their professional um, title. Talking about, in Mr. Peterson's case, mental health impacts directly related to his field of practice. But the colleges trying their, their colleges are trying to tell, tell them what to do. Is that fair? And Daniel Smith's answer was, well, I don't really know. Maybe hard to say. Um, I might have to I might have to step in. I might have to I might have to do some things because there is some she has some concerns about mission creep. 
which is the implication that colleges are overstepping their bounds by saying, hey, when you're acting in certain capacities, you have certain responsibilities that you have to fulfill. Now, in particular, one of the things that came up was uh, the Law Society. So she was specifically asked if she thought that the Law Society of Alberta's mandate included social and political re-education. This comes out of the story that we talked about a little while ago, where there was a small group of lawyers that said, hey, we don't think that we should have to do training on the, the history of Indigenous relations and First Nations relations and the history of how there's a, a reality of systemic racism and systemic trauma that Indigenous and First Nations people have to navigate. We, we shouldn't have to be forced to do that program. We're going to call a special meeting. They called the special meeting. Their motion was soundly defeated. But there's some people who are saying, hey, was that an overreach? Should they be mandating that uh, they have to do this training? And uh, uh, Smith said, if we could see emerging issues, then we may have to do something about it. I don't know if it's gotten to that point yet. It would require a lot of consultation. So Smith is saying the door is open. It seems she's saying that the door is open for her to potentially to professional bodies. Here's what you can and can't regulate. Now, it's worth noting that this comes at a time when (laughs) Minister Shandro just had his hearing for his unprofessional conduct delayed. Even if she doesn't intend to do anything. It's really quite remarkable that the premier of Alberta would even weigh in with an opinion in regards to whether or not she could or should start to change the mandate of uh, these professional associations and professional colleges. These professions are self-governed. And the reason why there was that special meeting to have a vote as to whether or not that training on Indigenous issues and First Nations issues should be continued was because they're self-governing. They had a vote. As a profession, they made a decision. Because in that profession, the best people who are most qualified to determine how they should should be behaving are the people in the profession. They're the experts. And in fact, one of the questions that often gets asked when a uh, person in a profession is maybe getting in a little bit of trouble is how would any other person who operates in that profession, would they have done the same thing? Would they have found this to be reasonable? That's one of the foundational questions of any self-governed body. But Daniel Smith, who, as we've very clearly learned in the province of Alberta, has no background ground in law and no standing of how the law works or how the mechanisms of law work she wants to say yeah maybe we'll maybe i'll weigh in moving on from there this is our last one and then god willing we're going to be joined by the incomparable sarah biggs but this one eh, we got a little bit to unpack here so One of the stories that we've been hearing a lot about has had to do with constituency associations and annual general meetings and nomination races. And we've certainly seen some controversial nomination races. There was just the recent one uh, in the Duke Pinoca where a candidate who, who allegedly 
has shared a lot of problematic social uh, media posts that include transphobic and homophobic and all sorts of different things. Um, this person, it has become the nominee for that constituency. We've seen there has been massive takeovers of constituency associations for the UCP across the province, where large groups of people have come in, they filled up the maximum number of board positions in those constituency associations in the hopes of influencing major decisions. Now, like Jason Nixon or not, his constituency association was another one of the areas that was recently targeted, and it was targeted because there were people who wanted to roll back his nomination. Now, the UCP has apparently said there's no mechanism for us to nominate a nominated candidate. That's not a thing that we can do. They can step down if they want. And there's people speculating that Jason Nixon just might. But there's no mechanism that the constituency association board or the provincial board, despite the fact that it's largely being run by almost half of people from a certain organization we're going to talk about in just a sec. Um, there's no mechanism. They have no legal mechanism within their constitution or bylaws in order to just erase a nomination. So that's, that's a big thing that's been happening. And we saw that play out again with another constituent association meeting. And this one's got uh, a little, little bit, of, a little bit of flavor to it. So in Innisfail, Sylvan Lake, they had their constituency association AGM. And there were a boatload of people that showed up. Danielle Smith showed up. And she tweeted out this picture, among others. You can see it's a packed room. There's a lot of people there. And anybody who's ever been part of a constituency association in Alberta knows that's pretty unprecedented. You don't get turnouts of dozens of people usually at constituency association meetings you don't get turnouts of hundreds that's largely completely unprecedented prior to this year and there's some things that we got to unpack here but the first thing that we got to unpack is this is devin dreeshan's constituency and that's danielle smith speaking on the far left here she's standing beside a table what's going on with that table there well as you can see, there's quite the stockpile of, uh, of letter that's just sitting there. Now, if it were any other constituency association, if it was any other constituency, if it was any other MLA that Daniel Smith was giving a shout out to, we might be able to walk past this. But given that, it's this constituency with this MLA and we've got bottles of liquor stacked on a table. It's worth doing a little bit of a short history lesson because not terribly long ago, there were some problems in that constituency. And in fact, there was a lawsuit that was launched because a former UCP staffer back October of 2021 filed a lawsuit alleging that there was harassment and heavy drinking going on in the multiple ministries. Now, the main ministry, the main minister was being talked about in this was there then Devin Drisha. For people who have been following Alberta politics a while, you know that there was a whole thing that went on about how when they decided that they were going to sit down for a drink, they'd make a joke about shields up, close the door, staffers, keep people away. We're getting loaded. 
I want to highlight the date on that story because that story came out on October 27th, 2021. Right after that story came out, Devin Dreeshen tweeted out this little gem. Wrapped up a great engagement tonight with folks from Central Alberta and Associate Minister Nate Horner on rural economic development. And we got a picture of Devin here and he's sitting at his desk and he's got his little, oh, uh, it looks like a surface maybe. I'm going to call it a surface. It's a tablet of some kind. And it's, it's sitting on, gosh, what's it sitting on there? Why it appears to be two coasters. What are the two coasters and the tablet sitting on? Why it appears to be a styrofoam cooler. But the real piece de resistance with this particular tweet that came out on November 1st. So again, let's be clear. A couple of days before then, story came out about excessive drinking. Devin Dreeshen was named as being, hey, this guy, he's doing a lot of drinking. How does he respond? Posts an unnecessary picture at 9 o'clock at night talking about, I had this great meeting where he's got his laptop propped up on coasters and a cooler but when you look in the background on the far right you can see in that little i don't know hutch side piece whatever that would be called there's bottles of liquor stacked there's almost no way to look at this tweet as anything other than a very deliberate troll he was trolling people well, didn't take much longer than after that tweet before uh, Mr. Dreeshen had to step down. So just a couple of days later, he resigned from his post following allegations of heavy drinking at work. He stepped down as a minister, remained as elected MLA, and kind of stayed in the background nice and quiet until Daniel Smith came back. Now she's showing up at a CA and she's bringing multiple bottles of liquor but here's where we really need to talk a little bit about what's going on because let's go back to this picture and let's talk about how unprecedented it is to have i don't know a conference room there's hundreds of people there there's no getting around that show up for a constituency association meeting this doesn't happen at least it didn't happen until a certain organization showed up and started making their own moves. And that organization we've talked about on the show before, they're called Take Back Alberta. We were sent this screenshot. It's apparently from the internal chat program thinger of the, uh, the Take Back Alberta folks. Um, and this is where they say another, another day, another AGM. Proud of the grassroots for getting involved and making their voices heard. Also, thank you to Devin Dreeshen for reaching out to the grassroots, coming to meetings, and being open to democracy. It really is incredible to see the success that Take Back Alberta is having across the province. We now have TBA members on half of the CA boards in this province. We've seen amazing success from Bonneville to Milk River. Thank you, everyone, for keeping the momentum going. Together, we will show all of Canada what real dem democracy looks like. And then goes on to say some other things take back alberta has been moving in the background for a while now they're an organization that was uh ostensibly put together by a guy named david parker but when you start to peel back the leaves it actually goes back to british columbia of all places so mm, grassroots do with that what you will but they are starting to be able to exert some real influence 
anyone who paid attention to the UCP leadership race knows Take Back Alberta took some victory laps over the role that they claim they played in getting Danielle Smith elected. This is a group that talks about vaccine conspiracy theories. This is a group that talks about the WEF as a conspiracy theory. This is a group that panders to the far right of the far right. And if they're to believed, if they're to be believed, they're the ones who are responsible for filling that room. They're the ones for putting the premier, who's cur- the person who's currently sitting in the premier's chair in Alberta in premier's chair. They're making no bones about the fact that they have decided that they're going to effectively take over the UCP as a party. And it's not the progressive conservative side of the UCP. It is the, the wild rose of the wild rose. That's who Take Back Alberta is. And they are a hair's breadth away from taking a controlling interest in most of the levers of power that decide who MLAs are going to be. Because the reality is these decisions are made at the constituency level. We've seen that time and time again. Once somebody gets nominated for a party, there's very little that you can do. And so when we take a look, even at the the recent nomination race that just went down on Friday, where by some reports, two thirds of the vote, and there have been, I'll say allegedly, some uh, maybe some voting irregularities, questionable voting activities that went on, on there. But nonetheless, Two-thirds of the people voted for the far-right TBA candidate who has put out transphobic, homophobic, WEF conceit theories across their social media. This is why it gets to be so important that people get involved in politics at the grassroots level. Because if you don't, if we've learned nothing else from this little conversation, there are folks who will. And they certainly, while they claim to represent the grassroots, they certainly don't seem to represent the perspectives or the beliefs of the majority of Albertans, but they're moving people into positions of power where it isn't going to matter. We got one more before we bring Sarah Biggs into the room. Preston Manning's panel was announced. Unsurprisingly, there's some familiar names. Retired Justice of the Supreme Court, John Brackett's Jack C. Major. He's one of the people who wrote an op-ed endorsing Daniel Smith's Sovereignty Act. We've got Dr. Rob Tangway, who is heavily involved in the not only the supervised consumption site review panel that saw the busiest supervised consumption site in Alberta shut down over false allegations. And they had the very nice creme brulee, we're told. He was also involved with the safe supply panel that was deemed to be so biased and so scientifically flawed that they not only did the NDP say, we don't want to have anything to do with this train wreck, but multiple experts from across the field said, we don't want to have anything to do with this train wreck. And that report, when it came out, was panned, was condemned by people across the board because of how biased misinformed, flawed it was. 
But then we've got the last name. So let's just take a sec to remember. Preston Manning's panel was convened ostensibly to do a legislative review of the laws that exist that allowed the tragic violation of freedom that occurred during the pandemic, which is still, I'm being so sarcastic. There were no tragic violations of freedom. We did barely the bare minimum in order to keep our healthcare system from, from being overwhelmed. And there were a lot of people who approached that with the same maturity of a toddler being told that it's bedtime. But this is what the panel has been uh, commissioned to do, to take a look at what are the legislative changes that we maybe, maybe should make. Uh, what did Alberta Health Services get wrong? And it's important to remember, Danielle Smith fired the AHS board and put in her, her own little doctor um, in order or in response to the, the horrible job that AHS did managing the pandemic based on things that she said that we've demonstrated over and over again are just lies. They're false. The things that Danielle Smith has said to justify firing the AHS board are lies and false. She misrepresented the, the, the idea of surge capacity. She claimed that the AHS board has in, had been instructed to create thousands of ICU beds and have them staffed and ready, even though ICU capacity was never exceeded. It would have been a tremendous waste of money. And that's not what surge capacity is. But rather than Danielle Smith admit that she doesn't know what surge capacity actually is, she decided, now, you know what? I'm going to fire the AHS board. Well, one of the people that she brought in is not other than one of the people who was fired from the AHS board, Jack Mintz. Now, Jack Mintz, dude gets around... So from the, the, the own government bio, he chaired the Alberta Premier's Economic Recovery Council. He's a former board member of Alberta Health Services only because Daniel Smith fired him um, and Imperial Oil Limited. Jack Mintz, you can't find something that conservatives have done over the last, I don't know, five years in this province without finding the name Jack Mintz. Already, the panel has been viewed by legal experts, legal, legal scholars, constitutional scholars as being farcical. It's the worst version of a UCP panel that was commissioned to um, come to a foregone conclusion. Now, it's worth remembering. We got uh, we got us. Five new panel members. We got us a Preston Manning. We got a lot of people involved here. We know Preston Manning's getting paid a quarter million dollars. The panel has a $2 million budget. There's five people on the panel. You can go ahead and, and do the math. And with that, we're going to bring in none other than Sarah Biggs. Sarah, how are you doing tonight? Or are you muted again? Hi. I go hi <laughs> it's that button right at the beginning we got to get like a flash for you or something well how's it going what's that sorry it cut off <laughs> it's terrible outside so the internet is garbage. that's fair we do have some weather in calgary right now how are you doing i'm okay i'm okay tired doing good? It's a, yeah it's been a busy weekend walter's home palliative care 
Won't make him comfy. That's all. For anybody who's not familiar, Walter is a a ornery little dog who's had a bit of a week. Yeah, he's, he's, uh, yeah, it's been, uh, last night was quite scary, but Walter is 14, still dashing. Um, Yeah, so we're, he had meatballs tonight. (laughs) So we're giving him, you know, like a good little uh, palliative care. Lots of snuff. Were lots they Ikea snuff. meatballs? What's that? Were they Ikea meatballs or did you go with like the fancy stuff? No, no. Homemade. Homemade. Nothing but the best. And, uh, oh, see, he's at the door right now. But he's dizzy. He's stumbly. He had, well, yeah, they think it, it's a brain bleed, so... His neurologic symptoms are not going away. So, but anyways, enough about that. <laughs> I love my Walter so much. We might as well just start setting the tone positive from the get go. Let's start with this new Leger poll because the, I mean, again, and I talked at the beginning of the show, polls are a snapshot. But one of the things that politicos do look for is whether or not there's a trend that's associated with those polls. And this is not the first poll that we've seen where the the NDP have gone from having a major advantage over, over the UCP, especially in Calgary, to not having any advantage at all. And in fact, being down five points. What's going on here? Why is this happening? <laughs> what have we been talking for? How long now, Nate? And nobody's <laughs> listening? They're goddamn messaging. They need to wake up. Like, stop telling. So, okay. So they had a policy coming out last week. Applause. But they're not willing to tackle down the root cause of a lot of issues that we're having in the province. You want to? They need to go bold. They don't have anything to lose. They're already in a position. Do they want to stay there? Or do they want to go bold and make you know? Proposed policies that would make sense and individuals would get on with. Um, Subsidized, you know, everything starts at the education level. Uh, Oddly enough, they started caring about the teachers like a week and a half ago, which is quite surprising. Um, But, you know, uh, subsidized universities, man. No, no teenager that applies in university should have 95% average in order to get into nursing program because the spaces are so limited. The space, it's everything is just, there's not enough spaces. Same thing with doctors. So they're going to have all those wonderful teams, full round of teams, but where are they going to take the people? You need more individuals into the system. So how do you fix that? So, okay, so we're having an affordability crisis right now. What would help students? I'm really wondering what helps students. Subsidize some programs. Subsidize them all. I don't care. Address the root cause. Open up more spaces. Fund universities. Because, you know, they're announcing all that beautiful funding. But universities' budget have been cut drastically in the past few years. And no one, no one, no one is willing to address the This is the biggest elephant in the room because going to university is now a thing of the elite. 
and it is extremely, extremely unfortunate that a teacher, a student wants to become a teacher, needs to go $40,000 in debt. Doesn't make any sense. They're going to go serve the problems. They are going to go teach her kids. They are getting the future and future workers, the worker ready for the market. Do something. Stop poking at the pile and either party show real meaningful actions to try to address this. You can throw as much money as you want. You can reform as much money as you want. You can say, oh, yeah, we're going to be getting more nurses from here and there. But here's the thing. There's a global shortage of healthcare workers. Why is that being ignored is something that I do not understand. And it is extremely, extremely tone deaf coming from the NDP right now. And they need to wake up because they're missing the mark right now. Like, Look at what's, um, so Danielle had a video, when was it Thursday, Nay, Was it Thursday? I think it was Thursday. I think, it was, I think it was actually come out on Friday, to be honest with you. Friday? I don't know. I've yeah. just been so busy. I don't know anymore. I, I was on the road all week. It's just been a big blur. But, um, you know, it was a really well-made video. And then the NDP comes back with a rebuttal. And it's the dollar store version of what he should have put out. But the NDP needs to stop, stop being so reactive. They need to start being proactive and they need to take the lead. If they do not take the lead on the fiscal side, on the healthcare side and education side, they're hooped. They need to stop with Rachel will fix healthcare. Guess what? She won't because Staff shortages are systemic issues. It doesn't matter what you say or do right now. If she's ignoring the root cause, she's not going to fix it. And people need to understand that. Look at what's going on in rural Alberta right now. You can reform the hell out of everything as much as you want. People don't have hospitals to go to, Rachel. Where are you going to pull your worker from, Rachel? Please show me the full plan are you going to increase spaces in medicine school are you going to increase spaces in nursing schools are you going to be funding that education because let me tell you not everybody can afford a semester at $7,500 a semester right now plus on top of high cost of food on cost of it I can't even people need to wake up so I here's my question I don't this is one of the things that I've been sort of noticing in regards to the messaging it seems like um, and I've been trying to put my finger on why I can't get behind the, the, the stuff that the NDP are, are putting out because it's all very, we're going to talk in a very calm voice and we're going to tell you that Danielle Smith is bad for it's you. It's scorch earth right now. Put well, this salt is my question. Scorch Earth, this is and this election is not about Rachel. It's about Albertans. Stop that shit. She's the leader. That's fine. Everybody knows it. But the election is not about Rachel going for a run with Joe. The election is about Albertans that does not have access to proper education system, facing underfunding universities, and cannot have access to proper health care. And therefore, there is more taxpayer money being spent on ridiculous shit because they think, like, nobody's thinking. Nobody, no, the rationale is gone. 
I'm going to get blocked tonight. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just... Here's here's the thing that I've been trying to figure out because I've been watching it and it seems like the, the NDP are trying to kind of sort of go after Daniel Smith, but they're not really committing. Whereas you take a look at how Daniel Smith and the, the UCP are running the show. They've got enemies and they want you to know that they've got enemies. There's the, the Rachel Notley, Jagmeet Singh, Justin Trudeau Alliance, and they're going to destroy Alberta and they're going to destroy the country. And we have to stand up and fight back against them because they're just the absolute worst. And they're playing on people's fears. And it's a powerful motivator from a communi- from a communication standpoint. Fear gets people fired up. We talked well, about the TBA. Yeah, we're going to get exactly. to that in a sec. Um, but TBA is using all of the conspiracy theories and all of the fears to get people fired up and show up. We're yeah. not seeing that same sort of... Uh, There's no passion. There's no passion. They, you know, when Danielle released her video on Friday, I sent it to a few people, some, you know, dippers or, you know, more centrist or, and people were like, oh, that's good. Oh, that's really good. And the thing, she's like, yeah, Rachel and I agree on a lot of things, but here's where we disagree. She didn't destroy her. She went on and explained the difference between her and Danielle. And then we get that video with almost the same music from Rachel sitting on the chair on the fly, like done very, very quickly. I could, but the thing is that when you have Max Fawcett saying that the NDP needs to wake up, when you have Max Fawcett dunking on them, and telling them that they need to wake up. If not, they are done. It's because things are not going that well. Like, I don't know what to say anymore. They just need to get their head out of the sand. I'm gonna it be seems cool. like to me that one of the, the flaws is potentially that, I mean, I was taking, taking a look at some of the recent tweets, and they're, they're very clearly written for like a grade four reading level. We've got five word sentences. They're all like mono or dual syllabic. Like, we're not, we're not being aspirational at all with our language whatsoever but daniel smith is able to occupy two different spaces daniel smith has figured out that that more than one thing can be true or maybe a lie at the same time because she will too on one hand go after the not leasing trudeau master plan organized by the wef and everything she's able to go all that all fire and brimstone but at the same time she's also able to do the Hey guys, you know what? Like, I think that, you know, there's some things that Rachel Notley and I do agree on. I just agree, disagree with everything that she is. So it's not so much that we, we, we don't agree. It's that she's the devil, but she's able to do it in a very, very calm and reassuring voice. This is what I'm saying. We haven't seen that kind of messaging from the NDP. The NDP is doing like that. Hey buds, you know, I, I, I've been trying to put my finger on the feeling that I get from the, the NDP communication so far. And it comes down to, in a lot of ways for me, you know, that, that meme where Steve Buscemi comes around the corner with the skateboard. And he's like, Hey, you kids, what are we doing in school today? <laughs> like it feels Steve like that. he's a, he's a, an actor. It was a sad, I believe it was a sure, My mother was not making me watch movies when I was a kid. So my husband always makes fun of me because he says that I'm uneducated on the movie level. But that's okay. I know first come by heart. Um, 
But no, there's so... It's like if they're dealing with the Eeyore syndrome right now. Oh, oh, oh. I... Do they need Zoloft? Do they need, you know, what do they need here to get up in their, like, in their step? I... It's really frustrating because... It's almost if they're just sitting back and really, really hoping for the CBC to do the job for them. That's lazy. They have money. Spend it accordingly. Build meaningful events. Build meaningful gatherings. Yeah. And, and... <laughs> okay, so here's, here's my thing. One of the one of the big lessons that has to have come out of 2019 in particular, but certainly over the last couple of years, and it's certainly something that we've seen Daniel Smith embrace, is the idea that, you know what, you can manufacture your own media narrative. They, they, they do a very, very good job of not only saying the things that they want to say, but they say them to the outlets that have been, some people say, generated and manufactured to serve as propaganda wings i mean we, we certainly saw i talked about the the grotesque story that was written in the western standard this week um which was nothing more than an ugly ugly hit piece on janice Irwin. it was published he i'm was sorry not like, he was not like that he wrote it it's he did <laughs> i don't know what to tell you man um, no no I didn't, I, i'm just like in shock but the Western Standard published that, despite having an yeah. editor, and they did it because, through the author's own admission, it would drive uh, website traffic. It would. Yeah. Uh, I want to make sure that I don't paraphrase this wrong because I got enough problems. Um, no, that's okay. Well, I'm insured. Well, you're insured, but you I'm not. <laughs> uh, so a shameless bid to drive traffic to the website, annoyingly ordered loaded the article with harmful transphobic tropes and dog whistles, paying zero mind to the damage his words would do to thousands across Alberta and beyond. It was published with that in mind. It was published to drive traffic. It was published to push a very specific narrative and inflame people. It was a clickbait. Absolutely. But that's what these organizations do. And you take a look at who Daniel Smith sidles up to. She sidles up to the Western Standard. She sidles up to True North. Those are media organizations. I wouldn't call them journalists on my darkest day, but those are media organizations that uh, um, exist to propagate that narrative to get people fired up. And then Daniel Smith and the UCP come in and capitalize on that. Whether or not there's any sort of collaboration, who knows? But that's how that relationship works. There's nothing for the NDP in that. So if they don't, like they don't have an equivalent. There's no equivalent for the NDP of the Western Standard. Equivalent for the NDP. But it's not big enough. But here's what I'm going to say. I might go Progress Alberta, but I wouldn't go Press Progress. (laughs) But here's what I'm going to say. But everything that we are seeing with Take Back Alberta and everything I've been talking about, we saw pictures this week of a assembly and they when I called you and I said, that scares the fuck out of me, saying that amount of people. No, that's Dreshens. No, the other one I sent you earlier this week. One? I thought that's what the yeah. one was the one you sent me. No, 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 no. 
I'll send it to you again. Um, it's all the old people with white hair. I just get lost. Yeah. <laughs> they all look the same, right? Uh, I'm going to send it to you right now. Sorry, I'm just on my phone. But here's the thing. The NDP will be held. So the NDP needs to wake up. The NDP needs to figure out their shit extremely fast. Because right now, the way they are acting and the way they are dealing with things are not is not appropriate. This is not a regular campaign. This is not a normal electoral cycle. This is not, nothing is normal in this, nothing. Nothing is normal. Here, I'm sending it to you again. I'll see if I can do up a little graphic during your next rant. Um, yeah, so, no, it's very, it's very, very, very concerning because it's like if the NDPs just. No, that was the Dresden one. Living there. That's the no, Dresden that was one. Not... Isn't it? Yeah. Different That's why it's just thanks to the definition. Oh, God. They are the same old white-haired people. Don't mess with... <laughs> I'm covered. No, I got progressives. Oh, shit. Never mind. <laughs> Sorry, guys. It's scary. They're organizing. They are extremely well organized. They have a lot of power. They are using primal fears. Um, fears of losing your house. Fears of losing your income. Fears of your family struggling in order to run their agenda. The NDP needs to build that fire in the next like two, three weeks, because if not, they are done. They are facing a populist, I'm not calling it conservative, That's a populist extreme far-right movement that is hungry and bloodthirsty, and they will not stop. Everybody's tired. It's like I tell to my clients, you're tired? That's fine. Daniel Smith is not. They are not. They're just getting started. She's fresh from a vacation. Just watch it go. And they have coffers bursting to the scene. Local represent. Here's what we need to remember. Local representation matters. Make, give your contending MLAs a personality. Give them a voice. Stop muting their assets with the Rachel brand on top. It does not work. Some people might be like, oh yeah, I know Glenda who lives five doors down in my on my town road, township road. She's running for the NDP. But I see Rachel Notley everywhere. And a lot of people are not even able to hold their nose to vote for a different party than the UCP. So what will those People do either stay home or vote for the UCP de facto. Trust your candidates to build a strong brand. Or train Trust. your candidates to build a strong or brand. Train. Like if you if you be got there people for your, there, or, be there for I mean, your candidate. Because <laughs> from what I'm hearing, it's not uh, you know, support is uh, could be better. Emergencies but, act. Yeah, my yeah. Is Theo listening tonight? <laughs> Are we gonna piss off Theo again? Um, They're making conspiracy theories about the fucking judge already. Like, doesn't make any sense. Well, I don't like it or not. 
those people. The vaccines were mind controlling the panel. <laughs> Fuck me. Those goobers. And I'm sorry, I'm going to say goobers. And Pierre Polyevre. I'm not going to call him a goober. All those conservatives out there, conservatives, heavy bracket. Um, you know, they would have, no matter what the outcome would have been, they would have never been happy because it comes from government. We are dealing with individuals who are facing a lot of adversity for any, any government. Look at what happened against Kenny. They are conservatives, but they didn't go with it. I, fuck, I got an email today from Stop the Lockdown. What lockdown? Peter McCaffrey, you have my number. Call me. I'm tired of getting that shit in my inbox. They subscribe me to all those fucking crazy. No, no, but I, I listen, know where you I know where you can find the, the head office. Yeah, well, I'm gonna call him tomorrow. That shit's gotta I went, stop. I went and um, on the little mailbox. Here. And the lockdown. And they're they're fundraising on that still. Sierra, on Friday, Justice Paul Rouleau released the Public Order Emergency Commission final report, otherwise known as the inquiry into the government's use of the Emergency Act. We know you don't agree with it, Peter, because, you know, freedom. But here's the thing. A judge, a commissioner, somebody overseeing an inquiry has the duty of remaining neutral analyzes and you know like um Judge Rouleau said in his um you know in his explanation is like my report is not a judgment my report is a recollection and an analysis of everything I have heard from everyone for the past six months don't like it that's fine but a lot of people don't like facts and no matter who the government is no matter what they do, like, can we just remember that the conservative was, were screaming at the clouds when COVID started to shut down the borders? Can we remember that for a second? And how we were not procuring the vaccine fast enough? And how, you know, I think, but then I think some people ran GoFundMe based on that. I'm not, I'm not saying that it's a great road to the premier's office, but these are stories I hear. Based on facts. I'm, I'm insured, but I don't want to use my deductible on that. Well, no, it's true. Daniel Smith ran a GoFundMe yeah. about yeah, not being able to get the type of vaccine because of the supply yeah. chain. And then she donated the money allegedly to uh, the, the JCCF. Where in the world is fundraiser money? <laughs> but yeah, but here's, here's what my question is about the Emergencies Act. We saw yes. the Emergencies Act report come out. We know yeah. for a fact that uh, that um, Rick McIver asked the federal government for help. So there's these are things that happened. And yet we saw Tyler Shandro come out and say, like, ah, oh, nah, I don't buy it, guys. We're going to keep fighting them. Like, is that a waste of taxpayers' money? Yes or no? They had to because what's going to happen? They had to do it because what is going to happen next? is that that report is going to be brought up in parliamentary uh, committee and they're going to be overlooking what has um, the conclusion of the report. Has it been done well? Uh, was it too late? Was it 
they're going to be talking about a lot of what should we do next, and they're going to be building a preparedness plan based on uh, the outcomes of the commission. So isn't tax of waste payer money? It's cheaper than $20 billion in our star program, is it? I mean, there's that, but it's still a waste of money. Eh. People were <laughs> screaming at the gates. Let let them have it. They had their little show with their little lawyers. Um, um, but why is Chandra doubling down on this? Like, other than the fact that it's politically expedient and it's what their base wants. Like, Chandra's still uh, technically a lawyer. So... Why uh why is this a thing? Because like, Daniel told me to. Just like okay. the gun thing. That's fair. Because um, the- sorry, go ahead. No, it's fine. I'm done. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh the other things that we talked about tonight. I just mm-hmm. want to make sure that we hit everything. Um can we talk about the booze? Am I going to get booze? you in trouble if I try to talk about the booze? No, no, no. Oh, the, the signed bottles? In Devin Dreesen's constituency. <laughs> like, why not go with, I don't know, a nice beef jerky basket or something? Like, there's so Half many different... Half a cow. I don't know. Times are hard. But, but he goes with... Um, he goes with with liquor. Shields up. <laughs> What's in your bottle? Um, it's diet ginger yeah. ale. Like my husband says, it doesn't make sense for me to go to an all-inclusive because I'm never going to drink my wine and booze. But that's okay. That's okay. Uh, no, it's... Come on, man. It's like... Yeah, but we're at the point of political discourse where everything that is signed, like, so here's the thing where I've never seen that before. That's what's bothering me. Is it creative? Sure. Is it out of the box? Maybe. Is it appropriate? It's questionable. Um, should have, have the premier signed those bottles? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, I would say that they're not shy of trying to get everything in the box. To use every tool in the box to try to make their point and get the votes. Like, Drishan's not in danger to lose his writing, let's be honest. They just want to reinforce. But I, I'm curious to see who, who paid for those bottles. I want to know. And how many were purchased? I have questions. (laughs) Valid ones. What are you looking forward to this week? What are we watching this week? Tomorrow's family day. Tomorrow is family day. Uh, It's the week before the budget. It is. More announcements, I'm guessing, because we had a, a torrent of small announcements about we're going to put $100,000 here, we're going to put a million dollars here. So that was what all of last week was. So here's, I'm going to vent about something I see on social media and I found hilarious. We're in election season. Of course, the government's going to make it rain. The NDP made it in 2019. 
Everybody does it. Nobody's. There's no purity test here, folks. Everybody does it. So you can get upset as much as you want, but yeah, they'll do it. And the NDP tried it to increase age back in 2019. Um, they tried to, you know, teachers and education, you know, they made all the promises in the world and they were in government. But did the very same people that are seeing problems from the UCP just making it rain had issues with um, the past government power to make it rain? Guys, you know, we got to make sure that, you know, you, you can yell at one cloud, but you got to make sure you yell at every single cloud equally. And of course, they're going to try to make it right. Of course, it's all a matter of optics. And what's happening is that we have a communicator running for premier and we have a lawyer running from premier. The communicator got the messaging down. She knows how to address every single crowd in the province. The issue that we have is that Ms. Nautney does not seem to be able to... Their strategy team is, uh, seems overwhelmed. And they don't seem like they're able to put their finger on, on the right messaging. Like, you know, um, you saw the thread tonight about emergency closures in your role. Jump on that, Rachel. Ask. Hold the government feet to the, feet to the fire. You need to hold them accountable. Take the lead. Stop making promises with unicorns and rainbows and fluffy poodles. Like, let's get serious to the real stuff here. There's a province future at stakes. You know, they had that big announcement with Todd Hirsch at the convention. Where is he? I haven't heard anything from him yet. Have you? Or did I miss something? Um, you know, stop being so goddamn reactive and start leading the way if you want to win. Because if not, you know, it's it's going to be too late. And it's almost already too late because the budget's coming out next week. And I really, really, really hope that they're going to have very, very... So here's what I'm going to say. The way they will be responding to the budget next week will be vital on their path to election. If they fuck that one up, Nate, they're done. Doesn't matter how many packs you have, they're done. So here's, here's my question. What is, what do you want to see from a reaction? Because the, the budget is almost certainly going to be, hey, we've got this crazy surplus. We did so great oil and gas. It's wondering, la, la, la. Um, uh, we're going to put more money into healthcare. We're going to put more money into um, freedom. We're going to pay for freedom or something. I don't know. Um, but it's, it's, it's going to be in that vein. What do you want to see the NDP response look like? Roll out your goddamn policies and a budget and do a presser. Here's are the issues that we are seeing. Not enough money for EAs right now. We need to increase. There's not enough training for EAs. Okay, we need X amount of space. So training the EMS is what's Six months, eight months. Let's make sure we open more spaces in order to have more EMS paving, you know, hitting the pavement next year, year and a half. Let's uh, increase bridging programs between LPNs and RNs so we can have more RNs. Let's 
um, you know, instead of saying that we're going to be putting a cap on this, this and that fucking cut, you know, use part of the surplus and invest in your future. That's what I would say, because that is the conservative thing to do. It is to invest in your taxpayer base, your future taxpayer base, because the boomers are exiting the market right now. And they're all going to end up in long term care facilities and we're going to be even worse off in 10 years. And no one, no one, no one has taken that into account. What's happening with the Heritage Fund? Put at least 40 to 45% in the Heritage Fund. What are you doing for debt repayment? Create a debt repayment account, high interest. Put the money in there. When the debt is vesting, it is now time to pay. But you are creating a new stream of revenue with that, you know, that money that you're tucking away in a very high interest account. There are ways to do it. Throwing money and just spewing words and saying, they're not looking out for, I don't know, come up with a real plan, please. Because, you know, a healthcare plan last week, sure, they're going to be just doing some stuff for rule and all that. But guess what? The UCP already announced it. So they're not bringing anything new. They need to come up with new important items that will matter to the average Albertans. Because right now, what's going to happen is that the UCP is pandering to the extreme far right they are flirting with you know the small c conservatives and they are keeping you know the controversies at bay for now and meanwhile there's not a whole lot so here's what i'm worried about is that right now we can see in pollings and you know we we ran some polling and all that and what i'm saying is that there are starting to be a shift back to the UCP, which is fascinating to see. And, you know, there's some margins that we thought that would be much higher that are not. And that is worrisome. There are some writings. They should be slam dunks right now. They're not. We should be worried about that. If I was the NDP right now, I'd hire a different pollster and really look at the numbers the way they are. Because right now, I think that if the UCP is delivering a good, I know Travis Staves was really focused on the budget. If he's being reasonable about it and they're not pissing it away, it is game over for the NDP. They need so to I want to talk. Some- yeah, I want to talk for a second about the advertising because we have this whole fascinating little conversation going on about uh, advertising and who's advertising, I who's not. I, I. Well, I'm, I'm on the NDP, Alberta's NDP Facebook page right now. Um, they are currently running a series of relatively small buy ads on Facebook that are very, very clearly targeted to specific candidates in specific constituencies. Now, we're talking about quite small numbers, 100, 100 to $200. Um, and the, the demographics that they're reaching are a couple of thousand. So if you live in one of those NDP constituencies that's being micro-targeted, then yes, you might very well be seeing ads. But here's the thing. The Alberta's NDP Facebook page, just for fun and games, has a grand total of 40,000 followers. If we go over to Rachel Notley's Facebook page, just for fun and games, she has... Uh, I think 43, 125,000. Want to guess how many ads she's running right now? Zero. Zero. She had, she, she went yogging with Joan this morning. Smotley is not running any ads on Facebook through her Facebook page right now. The NDP are running small micro targeted ads on Facebook. They may have some like, 
other pages. I just took a quick cursory look while you were ranting there because I saw this whole other conversation going on on the side, but I was curious. But one of the things that I think is really important that people also be aware of when we're assessing, and this is one of the reasons why with the, the breakdown, we follow a wide variety of political figures and we engage with a wide variety of political figures because the algorithms will screw you, man. If, if you are existing in a specific silo, the algorithm is going to want to keep you there because it doesn't want to challenge you. It doesn't want to make you upset. It doesn't want you to leave. So that's a, that's a really important piece. Objectivity on social media is something that requires active participation um, because otherwise it's going to feed you exactly what you you want to see but from a pure numbers based uh game here the reality is and anybody can do this anybody can go to any given facebook page a lot of people don't know this but this is where like a lot of the the stuff that we do here at the breakdown it's our bread and butter it's one of the first things that we check you can go to any facebook page and if you click on the about info you can go to the the page transparency piece and on that you can see all of the ads that a page is currently running. You can see how much they're spending and you can see how big the target audience is, which gives you a very good idea of what sort of demographics they're playing with geographically as well as age and all of that sort of thing. But you can also see all of their past ads. And that also tells you what kind of advertising they're doing on Facebook. And when you take yeah. a look at how people are largely interacting, the vast majority of the reactionary politics that happens doesn't happen on Twitter. People who are engaged in politics on Twitter are the hyper engaged people who are on Facebook. That's a whole other shit show. And if you take a look at the following for groups like take back Alberta or groups like holding MLAs accountable, if you compare their social media footprint on places like Twitter to places like Facebook night and day difference. So it's really important to realize that. But we got one other question that I want to get into real oh, quick. Can I just add something? You also need to make your space in the traditional media because people still watch news. And um, that's another story. That's fair. So I just want to quickly address one other comment that's going on in our, our comments tonight because mm -hmm. it's, uh, uh, it's, a, it's a thing. Um, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you the, the, the textbook definition. Then I want to get your definition because we're asking people about people are asking about populism. Now, my understanding before I cheat and use the dictionary over here is that populism is not an ideology. It's a tool. So mm -hmm. you can be conservative and not use popul populism. You can be uh, progressive and not use populism. When you are using populism, that's a tool. It's not an ideology. And so the, de the, the dictionary definition, <laughs> I've had too much sugar tonight. Uh, I had some wonderful birthday cake earlier. Not my birthday Can I go with my definition first before you go with the dictionary? Go right ahead. So very often, okay, so populism can be used by anyone, right? The left, the right. So it is very specific group. Let's say here we're dealing with, Small C conservatives, big C conservatives, uh, old reforms, wild rosers, WIPA, and all that, and take back Alberta. They are using it as a tool to um, convey some political messages that are 
catering to that very specific crowd, that very specific crowd of individuals that feel they are not being heard. In this case, in this case especially, they are um, using populism towards the anti-COVID crowd. Take our freedom backs. Take our rights back. Let's take our government back. From what? It is a tool that they are using to convey a messaging and an ideology that is being developed by political leaders. That's my personal own definition of populism. Yeah, you're pretty much bang on. The the, the, the dictionary def- definition from Oxford is a political approach that strives to appeal to ordinary people, feel their concerns are disregarded by the established elite groups. So that's what it is. It's it's a a it's, it's when you're when you're appealing to people who don't want to listen to experts. Yeah. And Danielle Smith has embodied that when she said, I'm not gonna listen to the experts anymore. So it's that's what populism is. But something and I've seen conversations within progressives where yeah. progressives have said, hey, we need to be more populist. And a lot of people mix populist with sort of grassroots. And you can have grassroots and you can have grassroots populism. But one of the the, the characteristics of dangerous populism is um whether or not the leader of that group is willing to say, whoa, that's a bit too far. So I'm going to give an example. France, France always love a good, a good protest. Boy, do they love their protests. The left in France are using a very populist messaging. There's different flavors of populism. But when populism is conveyed by hate, intolerance, miseducation, mis information and trying to convey and direct um, a very, very, and targeting a very, very, very specific populations and voters in order to further their personal agenda. That's what bad populism is. Let's say in France, uh, recently they had a, because they want to save their pensions, but they are populist, but on the left, but they had one very specific purpose and they are engaged and they are trying to get individuals engaged. And again, it's what you make out of it. Look at Marie Antoinette and Louis XIV. Look at what happened. The revolution was led by populism. It, were, it was the ordinary people that had enough, really had enough. Let them eat cake, they said. And they came at the gates and they had enough. It's almost like finding what I'm talking about. <laughs> but that's that's the whole piece. So one of the, the questions is then, if the NDP were to access some level of populism, what would that look like to you? I don't think they can. I I don't think they can. I don't think. I genuinely don't think they can achieve that. But here's what I'm going to say: they can, um, they can create a movement with explaining that every consequence in voting matters. Every sick consequences, every action, every vote matter they can create a movement into look guys this is what we are facing genuinely we're not going to go fear monger but you know after the budget you look at the budget you break it down shit i'm gonna have to start sending them invoices um 
But you break it down, you're like, okay, guys, if we are seeing this, this is the way we are heading as a province. But here's our solution. Here's how we would do it. Bring goddamn solution to the table and stop whining like my 10 years old. Well, here's the other question, because here's one of the, the barriers that I think the NDP is, is experiencing. I want you to tell me what you think here. But yeah. going through um, all of the uh, recent NDP tweets, social media stuffs. It seems like one of the big things that they're doing is they're saying, hey, people deserve health care. Visit our website. And as I ranted about just a couple of episodes ago, as soon as you put an external link on any social media platform that pushes you way down the algorithm. So it's just a bad idea. Put a graphic up that has the, the link or say link in bio or whatever. Or tag I say, a, this is what we are going to do. Why is it so goddamn hard for the leader or put some MLAs out there and be like, okay, here's a here's the problem we're facing, but this is what we want to bring to the table. This is what we will do. This is how much it will cost. This is how much it will impact you. And we are here for everyone, not just our tiny little group of 44,000 members that voted for the premier on the sixth round. <sighs> but the other question is, it, it, if you say to someone like me, hey, we've got this website. It's got our policies. Great website. You should check it out. Then for me to not look like an idiot when I'm speaking – one of the things that I'm going to do is go and check out this website, which, by the way, is not nearly as detailed as they make it out to be. No, the other not. thing is, if you say that to the average Albertan who's dealing with the affordability crisis, who's dealing with all of the things that people are dealing with, if, if you're doing all of those things and somebody says, hey, I want you to buy in, come over to this website, spend, spend some time, you're creating all kinds of, of barriers to entry that aren't going to work. Am I wrong? It's ableist because very often the language is going to be extremely complicated. And let's remember that there's a lot of individuals in the province. And yes, I'm going to use ableism right now because there's a lot of into individuals right now that, you know, they're, they don't have um, university reading level or they have maybe a grade nine reading level skill. Um, videos are what works best because let's not forget there's a lot of population a lot of uh, families um you know hindu and there's a lot of immigrant families that some of the grandparents we forget they vote but we also forget that they do not know how to read english and a video works for them when it is explained clearly and they are missing the mark on that too it's like everybody's bitching about the Laurentian elites. I think that the NDP is their worst enemy right now. Like, <sighs> so here's I, I got two other things I want to hit on because yeah. we have we're co we're coming up to our hour and a half here. But the two Oof. other things that I want to hit on. First of all, I got this uh, sent in the DMs while we were chatting here. You want to know what conversion marketing looks like? It looks like this, because if you search the breakdown AB on YouTube right now, you get hit with an opinion poll from the APOC Times 
from Daniel Smith. Well, it's not from Daniel Smith, but you get hit with this ad. It's got Daniel Smith. She's talking about introducing a firearms act to, in response to federal gun control legislation. This is what effective marketing looks like because anybody who searches the breakdown, people know that's political. And so before you get to see the results of your search, what you're getting is uh, you're getting this, this ad that says, hey, but what about, I mean, don't even get me started on the Apoc Times. But uh, they are they're very bad. But they're paying for marketing. And this is another piece that's really realized is that a lot of people looked at Daniel Smith's fundraising numbers that came out this week. And they said, ah, where's the big names? The big names aren't donating to uh, Daniel the Smith. They're donating to the PACs. They're donating to – they're supporting financially – these media organizations so that these media organizations, some of whom I'm told are registered charities, no less. These media organizations can then boost the signal for them. That's the whole new game. So yeah. there's that. And uh, the one other thing that I wanted to do a little bit of a teaser on, let's say, um, there's an announcement this week that we haven't touched on yet. <gasps> and it's kind of a big deal because it's the second leadership candidate who is saying, so long, thanks Ross. for the fish. I'm out. I'm out. So Raj and Sani, Raj and Sani announced this week uh, via social media that not going to be running in the next election. Now, this turns into a rat hole real quick. Oh, because... I, can, I, I can go down the rabbit hole for an hour if you want me to. <laughs> but here's the thing. I mean, A... They like, are willingly like, pushing out all the moderates. Sorry. Well, yes. Like her or not, Rajan was one of the moderates in the UCP. Now, I come from a bit of a bias in a couple of different places because anybody who's been, been paying a any attention to my background knows that I ran in 2019. Guess who I ran against? Rajan. And I got all kinds of video from that campaign that I occasionally re-up because I gangry from time to time. Um, but one thing that I will say is that Rajan demonstrated herself while she was in office to be um, a moderate within the Kenny government. And for people who maybe had a little bit of the inside track on things, they know that Kenny and uh, his, his favorite little pet wolf were more than prepared to not only de-index age, they were going to do cuts. Yeah. And it was Roger's portfolio. And a lot of people said, um, oh, it's all Roger's fault. But the inside story, the inside rumor that I imagine I'll never confirm publicly because that's just not how she rolls is that. And I've heard this from multiple, multiple people who are in the room. So this is not like, I'm speculating. Let me see if um, we heard the same thing. Rajan laid it all on the line when Kenny said he wanted to cut H and she you do, I'm out. And that saved people on H from 
not only CD indexing, which was for sure. Cut. And Lord knows if you paid any attention to the back catalog of the show, we've talked about H a lot on the show. And what we're doing right now is less than the bare minimum. Let's be clear. It's embarrassing how much we're contributing uh, and we're supporting people through H and it's not cost effective. So it was another, it was another Emily or two that were uh, toying the line with Rajan yep. and saying enough is enough. There was a lot of pushback in the background and people don't know that because those are not feel good stories. Those are not stories that people will, you know, Kenny wouldn't have gone be like, oh yeah, you know, if, Rajan and this Emily and this minister and all that would have never pushed back. I would have cut it. Nobody's going to brag about that. We don't no. hear those stories. We don't hear. Well, you can't talk about that. You can't say publicly. I disagreed with the, the, the premier. And I told him that if, uh, if he did do this very bad thing that I was going to quit, because that turns into a whole media circus in and of itself. Nobody ever gets to talk about those things, but I do think with, within the context of the UCP that uh, we are seeing the expulsion of the Every moderate person and the people who are going to replace them. If you, if you, if you're look, I live in Rajan's constituency. And when I look at who's lining up for the UCP nominations, Jesus Christ on a cracker. It gets real scary real quick. It's not a happy day. I see what you did there. <laughs> but the point that I'm making is uh, even inside an organization like the UCP, there were people who I believe, based on my inside information who were trying to do the best they could under difficult circumstances. Now you can go the moral argument of, well, then they should have left. And if that's what you want to do, that's what you want to do. But we're about to see, I suspect what a UCP slash wild rose 2.0 government looks like moderates have left the room. So, yeah. you know, she got the high school book for my constituency and I appreciate that a whole lot. Um, yeah. She did a lot of work. She did. So I'm seeing I'm seeing a comment here and it says rumor has is that the UCP is going to be good to age with the next budget. Yes. And my suspicion is that our proposal of increasing it to $2,000 a month for an extra $265 million, million a year will be on the table because I was asked for some details. There you go. So, but we'll again, see. there's a fundamental problem that I think needs to be highlighted there is that it's incredibly exploitive to only show up for the most vulnerable when it's profitable or beneficial for you. But every single political party does it, though. That's what's killing me. They're like, oh, yeah, we're here for everybody. No, you're not. You're MIA 90% of the time. You're just showing up when it's going to get you votes. Like, please, on both sides. It's I also want to take... I want to take a quick second because I see that it's already going on in the comments. No, 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 no. Yes, even yes, with, yes. I need to no, call you. Even with Rajan stepping down, there's no way. I'm not running. I'm not. The strategy is recognized. Do you want to no. stop by my office on Wednesday? Hard no. I mean, I'll stop by the office. Okay. It looks the, the pictures look nice, but I'm not running. I, even I, with Rajan, I've been getting messages. No. No, 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 no. Never yes, again. Yes. Yes. No. Nope. Yes. Hard no. Total no. No. Anyways. Uh, okay. um... <laughs> tell Mick to call me. 
You know, I, I, yeah, we're so screwed we'll in my constituency. Time. We're so screwed in my constituency. I'm so sorry. We're, we're so, um, <laughs> my constituency is not better. Well, no, actually, there's a good candidate. Like Najwan for the NDP is a really, really good candidate. We gotta give her that. I wish we would see more of Najwan, less of Rachel. That's a complaint that I have as a voter in Calgary, Glenmore. Oh no, I said the writing and living. Um, They're gonna come find you. <laughs> I think they already know where I live. Trust me. Um, but yeah, it's. I'm not loving it. It's not even funny, but that's okay. Budget, age, anything else you're looking out for? I think that this week they're going to be making more announcements on education because it is convention weeks. Um, so I think they're going to be making more announcements on that side. Um, we're going to see Take Back Alberta going on 100th year to try to get everything wrapped up. Uh, the UCP, uh, oh, on the 23rd, to whomever is a member of UCP and lives in Calgary, Fish Creek, please go vote for my friend, Christina Steed. She is amazing. She's a good fiscal consultant. She's a progressive. She, is, she was Richard Gottfried's... Um, she was Richard Gottfried's um, constituency assistant for years. And I've known Christina since... 2016, 2017. And she is a good, smart, she volunteers a lot. She she is genuinely an amazing person. So if, and I know Take Back Alberta is trying to dip their nose in there. So if you have the chance to vote for the next nomination in Calgary Fish Creek, please consider throwing your support behind Christina because we're just going to be a whole lot better for it. Trust me. I don't care about party lines anymore. I just care about good people. That's where I'm at. I think that's, I like Let's get that. some good people elected. You know, if if people were more engaged and we just demanded good people across the board as opposed to, uh, hey, I hear you're a fan of the NRA, I think that we would probably be doing a whole lot better on all sides. Um, Andrew's just going wild. The answer is no, Andrew. The answer is no. I don't know. Listen to that one. Are the candidates in your writing hard to like? Vote Pike. I'm getting a t-shirt. Making fun of grade four level communications. I'm not doing that. Um, I'm going to wrap it up. Okay. We're 10 minutes over. We'll be back on Wednesday. Thank you, everybody, for being patient with our departure on Wednesday this week. Sarah was super busy. Sorry. I was in Canmore. I was tired. I, I needed a break too. Day. I needed a break I, too. Yeah, sorry guys, right. but we won't let you down this week. We won't, and we talk about self care on the show, and we talk about the importance of making making <laughs> sure that you're taking time for self care. So you know, us occasionally taking a little bit of time for self care, I think that's a that's 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 a good thing. We have jobs outside of that as well, and families, and my baby's growing way too fast right now. And she went from saying three word sentences to four word sentences. And she's now attending gym classes and she's like a tiny little Hulk. And I feel like I'm missing out too much. So there's a balance off to you, Nate. I just got even with this, this, this little slogan here from, from birdie X. This, this is fantastic. Um, 
I'm going to throw another caption up instead uh, because this is the part where I clear out the room. So I want to say a big thank you to everybody who's been listening on the Twitter spaces, everybody who's listening on the and watching on the YouTubes, especially the super spicy uh, chat section. It is wonderful to see how much the, the chat has grown and how interactive it is. Absolutely love seeing it. Thank you guys so much for 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 sharing your time, sharing your thoughts. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with a little bit of healthy debate. So thank you everybody who weighed in there. As always, if you appreciate the kind of content that we're trying to produce here at The Breakdown, we'd love nothing more than if you signed up to our Patreon sponsors at www.patreon.com slash thebreakdownab, where for the price of just a, a fancy little cup of coffee a month, uh, you can you can help us continue to do the, the kind of stuff that you do. And you get stickers. Got a wonderful DM from somebody this week who sent a picture of the the sticker that they received. So that was super nice. Um, so you you get stuff. Plus, you get the good feeling that comes with knowing that you're supporting the the kind of work that we're trying to do. And you can say, hey, you know what? Uh, hey, Daniel, at AB Daniel Smith. I support the breakdown. So there. Pick your favorite politician. Makes them crazy. Uh, but you can do all of that at www.patreon.com slash the breakdown. AB, if you're listening to the audio version of our podcast, thanks for listening. Uh, if you want to leave a, a rating, a review, say some nice words, that would be delightful. And we will see everybody here back on Wednesday at a regular time, 8 o'clock. Uh, until then, take care of yourselves. Keep the conversation going.